We're going to turn to uh, Luke chapter 10 this morning, and we're going to read. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along, and if not, it is on the screen for you. Luke chapter 10 is a, is a story that Jesus is answering back to a, a question of a teacher. And it says, Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He asked him, and how do you read it? They answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told them. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And so Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, they beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. The priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the other place, saw him and uh, passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine, and put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll remember you for whatever extra you spent. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. And Jesus said, go and do the same. Lord, may you open our hearts and our minds to your truth this morning. I really like this story. Now, this, this is a, an answer that Christ is giving people. It's not a real story. There was no good Samaritan in real life. I hope that doesn't come as a shock to you. Otherwise, you might think I'm a heretic. But it's a story that Christ is using. It's a parable that Christ is using to illustrate a really important point. And he's sharing with this person there are two big things in your life. Love God first and then love other people second. And that's, that's it. Sometimes we make Christianity really complicated. We try to make it really tough and complex, and we've been doing a good job because many of our churches are empty, so we've been doing a good job at that. But I would say that that is not the truth of Christianity. Living out Christianity is tough. It is not easy. There's nowhere in the Bible, I saw a meme online because I'm cool and I look at memes. Apparently my Instagram is on fleek. If you don't know what that means, it's okay. I didn't either. I googled it, but it, it means it's cool. Uh, but I, I saw a meme, and it was a guy looking under a bed, and he was like looking for in the Bible where it says Christianity will be easy. Because we think, that was funnier in my head, uh, we think that Christianity is really simple or easy, right? We think that you get saved and you become a Christian, and all of a sudden everything is roses and everything is wonderful, and we walk around outside the community with smiles on our faces, and in the church with smiles on our faces, and and meanwhile, life is falling apart, and we think that somehow we're not spiritual if life is falling apart, or if we have ups and downs. But Pastor Kristen talked about those this morning, didn't he? The mountains in our lives, and they do bow down to Christ. It's okay to live a life that's falling apart because we serve a Savior who isn't. It's all right. And so those are important things for us, and Jesus is sharing that with them. He's asking to remember that. He's asking to remember that, that the ordinary is the place in which we make the difference. So often we're looking for extraordinary things to happen. Right? We, we wait for a call of God to do some fantastic thing or some big moment in our family life or big moment in our work life, 
and, and we think, you know, this is the moment that I'm going to step into the breach and I'm going to serve the Lord and I'm going to be famous and I'm going to be popular. And most of the time we live these little lives behind the scenes that sometimes we think are really insignificant, but they're not because that's how we are. That's how the kingdom is built, by people living out authentic Christian lives. And it's in those ordinary moments of life that the extraordinary happens. It's in those ordinary moments that the extraordinary happens, and that's what Christ is reminding us of. He tells this parable here, and to understand it, we have to understand what holiness is. Holiness is a couple of things. If we look at Exodus chapter 3, it's the first reference of holiness in the Bible. And we see here that it is the real and the manifest presence of God. God says to Moses, take off your sandals because where you are standing is holy. What makes it holy? It isn't because the ground is fancy or there's a big carpet on it. It's because God himself is there. That's what makes it holy. Sometimes we think that holiness is unattainable. But holiness is the presence of God. We have experienced holiness this morning together. Holiness is that real and manifest presence of God. It's seen in a relationship where God reveals himself to his people. Why? Because he loves us and he doesn't want us not to know him. Holiness is also an outward expression of an inward faith. It's, a, it's that inward expression. And you can see it on the outside. 1 Peter chapter 1, it talks about self-control over all of us. And that's not always easy. We live in a, a world that, where self-control is not particularly virtued, it's not enjoyed, and it's really difficult to practice. But that is what holiness is. It is this sense of, of inward expression. You know, I've got something in me, and I'm going to share that in a non-awkward kind of way. And then holiness is intensely relational. It's inherently relational. Holiness is not about what we do or do not do. Holiness is about our relationship with God. I am not a dad to my kids because I do a certain list that somebody said these are what dads do. I am a dad to my kids because I have a relationship with my kids. I work with people at my university, the Christian university. I have a relationship with those people there. Sometimes I wish I didn't because they're a pain in the butt sometimes, but they probably think the same about me, so it works out all right. But it is this relational, it is relational by its nature, holiness. It's not something we do or don't do. It's something we live out. And so we see this. Holiness is the mark of the exceptional relationship that we're called to in Christ, but it's lived out in the ordinary and average moments of every day. We have an exceptional relationship. The fact that you can become a Christian and move from death into life is absolutely miraculous. It really is. We take it for granted sometimes, but it is literally moving from death into life. You were once going to die forever, and now you are now going to live forever. That's pretty miraculous. Everything that else happens to us pales in comparison to that. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying God doesn't care about it, because he does. But I'm saying that this thing that we have as believers, is absolutely amazing. And that relationship that we have is lived out in the average of the ordinary, everyday lives. When we're out walking the dog, when we're out working alongside our coworkers, when we're in the heat of that argument, when we're looking at that neighbor that we don't know their name of, but we've lived beside them for 20 years. Holiness is lived out 
in those very ordinary moments, but it's lived out because of an extraordinary relationship that we have. Jesus answers this teacher of the law. He says two things, love God, love other people. It's relational. It's intensely personal. Our relationship with Christ is really personal. You don't know what my relationship with Jesus is. You know what I let you know. It's the same with you. We can look like we have it all together. We can look like we're really great Christians, and we can be neither of those things. It is an intensely personal relationship, yet we are called to live it out publicly. I don't really like watching the news, I have to confess. It is not particularly exciting to me to watch what is happening in the world. But in fairness, I don't think it ever was. But what I will say is if genuine Christians who weren't on hobby horses just lived out their faith in Jesus Christ in the ordinary, mundane moments of life, I think the world would be better off. The Holy Spirit chooses to build the kingdom. How? By you and me going out and sharing Jesus. There are other ways we program and support that, but that is ultimately the way that God chooses to build the kingdom. It's you and I in a relationship with other people that God is superintending over and calls them towards him through. Isn't that something? I have often said, if I was God, I wouldn't use me to help build the kingdom. Wouldn't you pick somebody else? But he doesn't. He picks us. And he picks you right where you are. And right where you are may not be a very exciting place or as illustrious or higher profile as other places, but I will tell you that you can live out your faith there in relationship with those people like probably nobody else could. Maybe that's why you're there. It's inherently relational. Jesus shares this. Jesus' concentration is on a relationship between a beaten man and these other people that come along. And so he uses this as an example of how to live this. If you look at prior to this, this is why it's always important, never just listen to what anybody says, but always read the word yourself. Right before this passage on the story of the Good Samaritan, right before it and right after it, we see things that position it in a relational context. Right before it, Jesus has sent out 72 of his closest followers to go into the world, and they come back, and they are excited. They actually come back, and they say, hey, you know the things that you told us? It's actually working. We actually did some of these things. And they come back, and they're excited about that. And in the midst of this, a teacher stands up trying to prove himself right and says, well, what about, what about my neighbors? And then right after this, Jesus goes to Mary and Martha's house. And Mary's running around, doing all the work and getting everything ready, and she gets mad at her sister and says, Jesus, why don't you just tell her to get up and help me? And, she, and he says, what? She's chosen the better way. Relational. Sitting. Knowing Jesus Christ. Right after that, he then goes on to teach his disciples about what? Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Relationship with God. When you need to sit down and pray before you do anything, here's how you do that. It's all in a relational context. It's not just about program or what we do on the weekends. It's about how we live out our life. And so we see this story kind of in that context. So this traveler is going on his way. He's beaten up. It isn't very exciting. And there's three people who come along. First one is a priest. That's the first person who comes along. 
So the priest's job was to minister in the temple, and Jesus is using this as an example, and he says, now, this person came along. Now, the hearers of that day would think, well, this person should probably help, because that'd be kind of like if we were telling a story and said, well, a pastor was walking by. Well, we would think, well, obviously the pastor's going to help. But that's not what happens. And so the pastor just kind of keeps on going. Matter of fact, he doesn't even just keep on going. He crosses over to the other side of the street. Now, I would like to say that I've never done that. But, and I've never done it to anybody in this church, let me just say that. But there have been other people that I have seen either in the mall or like on a street, and then you just kind of like do something else to avoid them. You've never done that because you're more spiritual than I am, but, but it's true. The other example is I wear glasses for distance, and if I don't wear them, I can't really see really well. You wouldn't believe how many conversations I get out of with that excuse. It's fantastic. That's... You watch. One of you is going to say, I saw you in the mall the other day, and you walked right by me. I'll be like, I didn't. I honestly didn't see you. That's what happens. This guy walks by on the other side of the road, Jesus says. He doesn't even want to go anywhere near him. Now, there's all sorts of laws that would have made sense to them because he didn't want to get unclean. He was leading worship and, and all of these other things. But Jesus is saying, listen, he walked right by. A Levite comes along. Somebody who would have served uh, in the temple would have assisted the priest. He does exactly the same thing. The two people who probably should have done something chose their religiosity and their busyness over actual service and living it out. And so they failed to do it, and somebody else comes. Now, the next person who comes, he isn't a pastor. He isn't even a Jewish person, which in that culture would have been huge. It doesn't register with us, but that would have been very significant, that it was a Samaritan who was helping a Jewish person because they did not associate very often. They had different kind of ideas about God. They worshipped in different places. They worshipped in different ways. They had very different cultures, and, and they didn't associate. If you think of Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, you see that story really really pointedly that they didn't really associate. And so for a Jewish audience to hear this Samaritan is coming along to help, they would have been like, what is up with this guy? And that's what happens. Comes along. We read that in verse 33. Picks the guy up. He looks after him. He pays the innkeeper. But he's different. He's not the person who it should have been. But yet he was doing what he should have done. See where the difference is made in that story? Jesus is talking about this deserted road with these three random people, a poor guy who gets beat up by robbers. It's just what was happening in life. He wasn't talking about when this certain event comes along, and it will. He was talking about, you know, this guy was just on his way somewhere and got beat up. Now, again, it's a parable, but it proves the point that Life happens, and oftentimes it happens when you're not expecting it to happen. There are moments that we need to look for that we cannot anticipate or expect, and yet that is where we are called to live out our faith. That's kind of how it is. The other guys looked the right way. They might have said the right words. They might have done all of the right things, but at the end of the day, they chose to leave their faith behind at the temple. But yet Christ says this to us. That the holiness is not something we can leave behind. That holiness is not a weekend pursuit. 
Most of you did not show up this morning because you woke up and thought, gee, I have nothing else to do today. Hmm, I wonder what I'll do. There was something in you, some of you might have, there was something in you that called you here. And the important thing is, what is going to call us when we leave here? Because when we leave these doors, we come to worship, we come to gather, we come to be with people who uh, can worship God corporately, and we're called to do that. We come to hear from the Word of God. We come to pour out our offering to God today. But yet we are called to live out our faith in the mission field, otherwise we'd always be at the church. But we're not called to always be at the church, but we're always called to be on mission. And so when we walk through the doors today, we walk into a community that is broken, we walk into a community that is alone, that is sad, and the size of their houses and the cars they drive are no indication of their spirituality. And we are surrounded in a sea of people who do not know Jesus Christ and who are literally dying to meet him. And sometimes you and I are called in the midst of what we're doing to be that person who shares that. It's not just something we do on weekends. It's easy to make our faith about our devotional times and our prayer times. You know that in the most recent survey that about 75% of us don't read our Bibles? Evangelical Christians, not the general population. Evangelical church-going Christians, about 75% of us don't read our Bibles. Can you imagine if 75% of us didn't talk to our families? Be good, wouldn't it, some days? I mean, really, wouldn't it be? But, but still, what kind of relationship would we have? Hardly any of us take a concentrated time of prayer, and, and this is not me pointing fingers, trust me. Hardly any of us as evangelical Christians take a concentrated time of prayer. If we do pray, it's probably grace before a meal. But it's important in those moments. And it's more important to live that out around us. People are looking at us. Did you know that? Did you know that I used to, uh, when I went to Bible college, I had the Bible college sticker on the back of my car. I literally had to take it off because I was so conscious of my driving. Because I thought, you know, if I, if I, if I, if I you know, zig when I should have zagged, if I, if I go too far in the yellow light, someone's going to say, oh, look at that Bible college, I'm a Christian guy. I had to take it off because I figured my testimony would be all gone squish if I didn't. So I did. I took it off. Now I drive however I want. It's great. <laughs> but people are watching us. People are looking at us. People want to see people who live differently. Otherwise, why would they believe the Jesus we serve? If we live exactly the same as every other neighbor on our street and every other person in our workplace, why would they believe in the life-changing power of the gospel when we don't actually show any life-changed power? If we look the same and sound the same and have the same values and live the same way, why would we say, you know, you're lost without Jesus? They're not. They look exactly the same as us. That is what Christ is talking about. This intensely relational holiness that we live out that isn't just about where we go on Sundays. That is about what we do on Mondays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays and in the workplace when that person's being a jerk and in the neighborhood when that neighbor that nobody else can stand is doing what they do. We are called to be different. 
We're called to live that out no matter where we are. See, if we're called to live out holiness and lifestyle in, in our community, we need to do it with an attitude that brings our relationship with Christ out to our relationship with others. C.S. Lewis has a great quote. He says that people don't reject Christianity, they're inoculated against it. And I've often used that quote many times because it frightens me to death. Think about it. If you get a flu shot, the way they do that is they take some strain and they insert it in. You build up an antibody for it and bam, you don't get the flu. Isn't that great? We inoculate people against Christianity because it's just kind of everywhere and they think they know what it is and it's not this life-changing transformative thing. It's just something that doesn't make any difference to anybody. And that's what happens and that's what we think it is. So how can we live? How can we live? How do we take the step from being the person who just walks along the road to the person who stops and actually cares for the people around us? It's not easy. How do we do it? Well, there's a couple of ways, I think. We see here in, in Luke 10, 27, we see this phrase again that we've seen many times in Scripture. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and with your mind. If we are going to live a life that is meaningful and authentic and actually changes our lives and other people's, we have to be passionate about what we do. We do. We have to be passionate about what we do. We are passionate about all sorts of other things in our lives. But yet with our faith, we think, well, we don't want to offend anybody and we don't want to think that, you know, they don't want them to think that we're crazy and, and we don't want to be seen as those, you know, other crazy Christians and so we're very quiet about it. It's all really good reasons, but all of those reasons just make us inert. It's all they do. They just make every other voice louder while we're just being quiet because we're afraid to sound like the crazies. But the crazies sound more crazy because all of the sensible people are being quiet. We have to be passionate about what we do. I like to talk about the things I like to talk about. I like to talk about my kids. I like to talk about my cat. My cat is amazing. She was bathing herself on the back deck this morning in the sun. She looks very cute until you touch her, and then she likes to kill you. I like to talk about the things I'm passionate about. I have a new role at the university, I'm working on spiritual formation, so I'm working with all of our, our students. Do you know that our students last year and 55 organizations in Greater Moncton put in over 17,000 hours of volunteer service? Christians out in their community? Yeah, it's amazing. So I'm working with our students who serve in that way, and I'm working with our dean of the chapel, and we're working on a new spiritual formation plan so that when we graduate people, we, we graduate people who are godly people who walk out into our community ready to serve in local churches as lay leaders and ready to serve in their community as just good Christians who understand that. And we have a lot of Crandall students here, and they're awesome, and be praying for them and all of our students who are going off to college and university uh, next week. They need our prayers, trust me, no matter where they're going. We talk about what we're passionate about, don't we? You know people who never shut up about something. If they like a hockey team... Oh, my soul. If the hockey team is winning, that's all you ever hear about. If the hockey team is losing, it's probably Roland Savlas. But that's what happens. We talk about what we're passionate about. Be passionate about Jesus. It doesn't mean we're perfect. And every time we get passionate about something, someone is going to say, you know what? You don't live that way. And then we, we don't want to talk about it anymore because they're right. 
We don't live that way. We can't always live that way. We're not perfect. Jesus didn't ask us to be. He said that he would be. He said that he'd give us enough power. Do it anyway. Love God. Love him with who we are, with what we do. Another thing we need to do is we need to be mindful of opportunity. When you're reading your Bibles, the 25% of you who will, when you're reading your Bibles, it's important to look at the phrases while they were going, while they were on their way, as they were going. Over and over again, we think that Scripture is filled with these giant moments of divine providence, and it is, but they never looked like it. The reason the burning bush stands out to us so much is because it's so different than every other day that happens. We wait for burning bush moments. We wait for God speaking from the mountaintops, for fire and lightning from heaven. But most of the time, while they were going through, as they were on their journey, so and so, this happened. Right after this story that we read in chapter 7, it says, uh, as they were on their way, Mary and Martha invited Jesus over. The story that Jesus tells himself, while the guy was passing through to Jerusalem, he got beat up. There are all sorts of opportunities that we need to focus on around us. All sorts. We want to be used by God, and then we sit and we pray and we wait for the giant moments of revelation. And they may come. You may have a specific task to which God has called you to, whether it's a job, whether it's a, a ministry, whether that's a, a neighbor, whatever it is. That will happen. But nine times out of ten, it is just in the average every day as we are being open and looking for opportunities that God uses us while we are on our way. My kids and I play this game. We started it when they were younger. Uh, it's yellow car, no tag backs. Anybody ever played, um, you know, punch buggy? How do you played punch buggy? All right. The rest of you are more spiritual. That's, that's good. That's good. Um, it's kind of the same as punch buggy. You see a punch buggy, you get to hit the person first before they hit you. Well, we do yellow car, no tag backs. It's kind of the same. We started when the kids were young. I thought, what a great idea. It'll keep them quiet. Fantastic. I didn't realize that, you know, that most of the kids are going to want to hit me because I'm the dad, and, and so this arm is permanently bruised, but it's all right. But one of the things I thought was, we can play this game, and I'm going to look like a hero because there are not a lot of yellow cars. Lies. All lies. There are so many yellow cars. Literally, I thought, how many yellow cars are there? I mean, there's school buses and, and construction vehicles, but I was clever. We ruled those out. And I thought, well, what am I going to get one? And they'll be looking at There are a lot of yellow cars. A lot of yellow cars. But you know what's interesting? There are no more yellow cars now than there were before we started playing. The only difference is, is that now we're looking for them. There are no more broken people around you than there were before you became a Christian. There are no more lost people. There are no more sad people. There are no more opportunities than there were before you came to know Jesus Christ. But the difference is that now we have an opportunity that we can look for those opportunities to actually see them differently. While we are on our way somewhere, we may not get sidetracked. We might have an appointment that we didn't plan for. And that sidetrack is probably going to do more than whatever we were on our way to do. We have to look for the opportunities. Jesus passed by people every day. Every day. In the book of Acts, we read of a person who was healed. It said that every day he was carried to the temple gates to beg for money. 
And then Peter and James walk by, and they heal this guy. Now, other people would have walked by him. Jesus probably would have walked by him. Because not every time is it the moment. But there are opportunities around us when we have to be aware and know when the moment is right for us. Sometimes we pass those opportunities and we feel guilty. Sometimes we don't feel like we should help, but we probably should. And other times we need to lean in and do what we need to do. We need to do that. The other thing is we need to realize is that we need to be in a right relationship with God. Holiness is this intensely personal relationship. And I love the church. It is filled with flawed people who live imperfect lives, who have all sorts of problems, but yet we serve the same God. He reaches into our lives and he snatches us away from death. There is something wonderful about that. We need to be in a good relationship with God. That in the moments of our lives when they seek to distract us and pull us away, that we are very careful and attentive that we're building the relationship that we need to do with God. That we do that through gathering together. We do that through our private prayer time and our, our Bible reading. We do that through serving others, whether that's in the church or outside. We need to have that intensely personal relationship with God so that it's natural. It's natural for us. That's what we need to do. Holiness is really living out our relationship. That's what it is. If we want to change the world around us, we start internally with ourselves. We pray that God uses us as we walk from door to door, street to street, down the aisle of the mall or the grocery store, in the cubicles at work, in our neighborhoods around us, watching for those moments to be holy people. That's what we need to do. We need to take those moments and transform them into something that we can live outside the walls of our churches, outside the walls of our homes. We need to bring our relationship with Christ out into the world because they'll see it, and it will be different. People are watching us anyway. They really are. People are watching. They're looking for something that looks different than what they have because what they have isn't working. It doesn't matter how much of it they have or how little of it they have, it's not going to work because we are designed, as we heard this morning in worship, to worship God. We are designed to be in relationship with God and everything else that we have can make our lives a little easier or, or worse, but it's never going to work because that is not who we are designed to be. And we are the people who have opportunity to live that out in front of other people, who live that out in authentic and wonderful lives. We are the people that God has chosen to do that for us. And it's never, never easy. And so I want to challenge us this morning with this. We're going to end. I want to challenge us this morning that our calling is to love God, is to love others, and then is to live that out in the communities around us. Maybe it's going to be through a program in the church. Maybe it's going to be through a program in the community. Probably most of the time, it's going to be while we're on our way to do something while we're just at work on a routine day when somebody comes in and says, oh my goodness, I just got this call from the doctor and I don't know what I'm going to do about it. Or when somebody comes in and says, you know what? I just need some advice. 
or when somebody says, boy, did I ever have quite a weekend. The way we respond, the way we live those things out, point people to Jesus or they might point them away. Let's, let's be good Christians. Let's live Christianly in our lives. We're not going to live perfect and, and don't be afraid when people point out that you're not perfect and, and that you're all these other things. It's okay. But we serve a God who is. We serve a God who makes a difference. We serve a God who moves people from darkness to light, death to life. That's who we serve in our communities. That's who we serve in our personal lives. That's what Jesus was saying. Love God with everything that you are and love those other people like you love yourself. And if you don't love yourself, then realize that you've been made by God and you're pretty amazing and love people like God loves you. That's what we're called to do. We're going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. Musicians are going to come and they're going to close our service this morning. I'm going to pray for Pastor Paul and that he has a refreshing time this weekend and the ministries that are going on here. But we want to pray for you folks because so much of the ministry of the church doesn't happen in here. It happens wherever you are. It's going to happen on the car ride home and at the restaurant and uh, at work this week and, and school. That's where it's going to happen. So we're going to pray for that. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for each other that God just gets a hold of us. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you today. We thank you that we don't serve a God who is dead. We thank you that we are not serving a, 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 just a kind of a religious order. We're not serving just a, a certain church. We're not serving any of those things that society makes it out. We are serving a living God, the true and the living God, who reaches in and says, I am now saving you for eternal life. We serve a God who says, I don't want to leave you alone, so he pours out his spirit on us to empower us. And in the moments when we're not sure what to do, it says the spirit will intercede in our prayers and give us the right words to say to others. That we are not alone on this journey. God, we thank you that you are a God who doesn't make life easy for us but you never abandon us in the midst of it. God, may you help us to be people who understand that. Lord, we want to pray for our pastor today, that, uh, for he and Vanessa, that they just have a refreshing time. That God, for all of our pastoral staff and our leadership, that, that God, you're just going to give them that sense of clarity and purpose and call and direction as they lead this part of your kingdom. We thank you for them. Lord, we thank you for each person who's on our right and our left. And, and some of them we know really well and some of them we don't know. And it's okay. Your kingdom is big. God, but we want to pray for the people here today that as we leave the sanctuary this morning, as we walk out the building doors, that we realize that we're leaving a place of ministry and safety for a place of uncertainty and mission. That it's out there that the road with the robbers is waiting. It's out there that the opportunities are around us. It is out there where we need to be. And thankfully, it is out there where you have placed us. So God, we pray that we might be aware of your presence. We pray, we ask your forgiveness for those times when, when our relationships haven't been as deep with you as they could. We pray that you'll help us to prioritize that. We pray that you will give us a heart that sees the needs around us, authentic, genuine needs, that, that Lord, we might be sensitive people and see those needs. God, we pray that 
in our small part of the kingdom, in our small part of the world, that we might be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We thank you for that today. Lord, we ask you to bless us, keep us, make your face shine upon us, and grant us your peace as we take that peace into a world that so desperately needs it. In Christ's name.